Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. This week, I chose Evening Primrose from Escape. Escape premiered on CBS July 7th, 1947, and ran until September 25th, 1954. The show promised to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure, with stories focused on life-or-death situations, many of them adapted from classic literature and performed by veteran radio actors such as Harry Bartell, Frank Lovejoy, William Conrad, and in the case of today's story, the amazing Paul Freese. Evening Primrose was based on the short story by John Collier. Collier began his writing career as a poet, published his first poem in 1920 at the age of 19. A decade later, unsatisfied with his career, Collier wrote his first novel, the satirical tale of an explorer who marries a chimpanzee called His Monkey Wife. The novel, while not a mainstream success, was popular with peers and critics. His Monkey Wife was followed shortly by Tom's a Cold, a dystopian novel set in the 1990s, and Defy the Foul Fiend, or The Misadventures of a Heart, a classic satire and coming-of-age story. If you've never heard of these novels, you're not alone. Collier is best remembered for his strange and sardonic short stories, originally published in The New Yorker, and later collected in several volumes including Fancies and Good Nights, which won both the Edgar Award and International Fantasy Award in 1952. Many of his stories were adapted for television, including Alfred Hitchcock Presents, The Twilight Zone, and the short-lived TV version of Lights Out. In 1966, ABC attempted to revive the television anthology series with a show called ABC Stage 67, which presented weekly dramas, variety shows, documentaries, and original musicals, including a musical adaptation of the story you're about to hear, Evening Primrose. This production is notable for more than its odd choice of source material. The lead was played by Psycho star Anthony Perkins, and the music was composed by none other than Stephen Sondheim. Despite his weird mashup of talent, or maybe because of it, ABC Stage 67 was canceled after only one season. But that's enough television trivia. This is an old-time radio podcast, and it's time to enjoy Escape's distinctly non-musical version of Evening Primrose, originally broadcast November 5th, 1947. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Did you lose an election bet yesterday? Feel a bad cold coming on? Want to get away from it all? We offer you escape. groping in the midnight dimness of a gigantic department store, and suddenly you realize that you're not alone, but a hundred eyes are glaring at you from the shadows, a hundred hands reaching for your throat, and your most urgent desire is to escape. Escape, produced and directed by William N. Robeson, and carefully plotted to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to the dark labyrinth of a giant department store in the dead of night and to a fantastic world of night dwellers as John Collier imagines it in his eerie story, Evening Primrose. Sam, you nearly scared me to death. What do you mean coming in so quiet? Oh, I didn't mean it. 
scare you. I thought you'd be asleep. I didn't want to wake you. Oh, Sam, I'm glad you're home. Hey, what's the matter? Oh, it's terrible. You've got to do something, Sam. Oh, well, well, what's terrible? It's this. Just look at this. Oh, what's terrible about that? Looks like an ordinary pad of paper to me. Yeah, it's just it. That's just what I thought. But it's got writing in it. It's awful. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe you better tell me what this is all about. Well, today I went shopping down at Bracey's department store. Yeah. I, I needed some writing paper, so I picked this up. It was on top of the pile and bought it and brought it home. But tonight when I opened it, I found it's got writing in it. Well, that's nothing so terrible. Just take it back tomorrow and they can give you a new one. Oh, no, you don't understand. It's what's written in it that's so terrible. What do you mean, what's written in it? Here, you got to read it. Oh, no, Sam. no, right now. Read it. Look, Sadie, I'm tired. I've been please, falling all Please, Sam, this. please. Just read it. Uh, all right, for Pete's sake. October 13th. Today I made my decision. I decided to say goodbye to the world to get out, leave, break away. And I have done it. Oh, Sadie, it's a lot of... Go on, read. Ah. And now I am free. Really free. Yes, Yes, I am free at last. (laughs) The world is an intolerable place for a poet. I was broke starving at my wit's end. And then I had a brilliant idea. I would escape to a place where I had no need to earn a living, where I could write to my heart's content in peace and security. Where is this place? Right under your nose. So close you'd never think of it. I am now living in Bracey's department store. I have everything within arm's reach that anyone would need or desire. And it's all free. Absolutely free. I arrived this afternoon. I'd spent three days looking over all of the department stores in town. I decided on Bracey's because of the completeness of their food department. Therefore, this afternoon, I entered the store and went immediately to the fourth floor to the rug department and hid myself in this dusty, out-of-the-way corner behind a pile of carpets. Once I'm settled, I'll furnish it with the best of modern pieces from the furniture department. It's small, but I'll be cozy enough and safe. After the store closed, I made my first venture out. I tiptoed as far as the stationery counter and got this paper, the writer's primary need. Now, after making my initial entry, I'll go out and get food, wine, the pillows for my bed, perhaps a fancy dressing gown. This is perfect. I'll be able to write here. Dawn, October 14th. I'm almost too unnerved to write this. The whole thing is unbelievable. After the store was dark and completely quiet, I crept out and started for the food department. One footstep echo hollowly in an empty department store at night. And I found myself gliding along the floor on tiptoe, moving as silently as possible. But the sound of footsteps persisted. Suddenly I realized they were not my own. The night watchman. I was in the Salon Moderne. Quickly I seized a mink coat from a hanger, draped it about my shoulders, and stood stock still. I could have reached out and touched him. But he passed by without so much as a glance. He started to smile. But the smile froze on my lips. someone else here. I was looking straight into a pair of eyes. Large, flat, luminous, inhuman eyes peering at me from among the Mrs. Taylor's tubes a dozen feet away. They belonged to a creature dressed as a man, but he was as pale as a creature found under a stone. His hands hanging motionless at his sides looked more like the fins on a fish than human hands. And then he spoke. Not that, for a beginner. I'm... I'm sorry, I didn't know anybody else uh, lived here. Oh, yes. We live here. 
It's delightful. We? Yes, all of us. Don't you see? Look around you. I looked around. I saw nothing. I looked again. I saw an old man come clambering out from behind a clock. There were three elderly ingenues, incredibly emaciated, pale as lace, almost transparent, simpering before the perfume counter. A chintzy lady swam out from the curtains and drapes. They came swarming thick around me, pale, thin, wispy, moving silently, fluttering like gauze in the wind, whispering. How raw he looks. Who is he? Of course, it's the sun. What is he doing here? A detective. Send for the dark men. Yes, send for the dark men. The dark men. They were pressing around me, clawing, holding me, their pale faces contorted with venomous, inhuman hatred. I was paralyzed. All I could do was repeat over and over again, I'm not a detective. I'm not a detective. I'm not a burglar, then. A burglar? Tie him up. Hold him. Carry him to the place. Send for the dark men. Stop. Stop. Let him speak. I'm not a detective. Or a burglar. I'm a poet. Then what are you doing here? I've... I've renounced the world. I came here to live where I could be alone. Away from the world. Why, then, he's come over to us. He's just like us. He's come over to us, a poet. He must meet Mrs. Vanderpan. Yes, Mrs. Vanderpan. She's coming now. I followed their eyes toward the balcony. There, coming down the wall like an ancient spider, clambered an old lady, wrinkled and cracked and emaciated. She must have been at least 80, a shadowy matriarch. And the things around me bowed and scraped as she reached the floor and floated toward us. Going on here? Where is that stupid girl? What's keeping her? Oh, uh, Mrs. Vanderpant. Well, what is it? Who's this, Mr. Roscoe? Uh, Mrs. Vanderpant, may I present Mr. Uh... Uh, Snell, Mr. Snell, Mr. Charles Snell. Yes, yes, of course. Mr. Snell. He's a poet, and he's come here to live. Oh, he has, has he? That's what he says, and I believe him. Well, yes, he avoided the night watchman quite neatly. For a beginner. Well, thank you. Hmm. Very well. We shall see. A poet should find inspiration here. Mr. Snell, Mrs. Vanderpant is our grand old lady. Oh? I am quite the oldest inhabitant here, Mr. Snell. Three mergers and a complete rebuilding. But they didn't get rid of me. Oh, really? Oh, oh, where is Ella? Where is my broth? She's bringing it, Mr. Vanderpan. Oh, terrible little creature. Uh, she is our foundling, Mr. Snell. Uh, she's not quite our sort. Is that so? I have been here, Mr. Snell, ever since the terrible times of the 80s. Oh, I was a young girl then. A beauty, they say. And poor papa lost his money. Braces meant a lot to a young girl in those days. So when I wasn't able to have a charger come, I came here for good. That's better than a charger count. I was quite alarmed when others began to come after the crash of 1907. But it was the dead judge. How do you do? The colonel. How do you do? Mrs. Bilby. How do you do? Uh, Mrs. Bilby writes plays. Oh. And comes of an old Philadelphia family. Oh, you will find us quite nice here, Mr. Smith. I'm sure I will. And, of course, all our dear young people came in 1929. Their poor papas jumped from skyscrapers. They couldn't bear to be without Charles de Combs either. Do you mean all these people live here? Oh, and many more. You shall meet them all later. Oh, here comes Ella with my block. Come, come, you stupid thing. Mrs. Vanderpant is waiting. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm coming as fast as I can. Now, you're careful. Oh, but she's young. Well, of course, she is a little younger than most of them. And she... she's different. She's beautiful. Mr. Snell, 
Ella is Mrs. Vanderpant's maid. That's right, old man. She's really not our sort at all. You shouldn't say such things. She can hear you. Oh, that doesn't matter. You'll understand these things better after you've been here a while. But it seems to me that Mr. you would... Mr. Snell, we have certain rules here. They are necessary for our survival. I'm sure you won't find it hard to observe them. Well, yes, I appreciate... I should advise that you try. If you do not, that would be most unfortunate, Mr. Snell. Most unfortunate for you. October 15th. You can imagine my feelings last night. My first thought was to escape as quickly as possible. In fact, I planned to wait till morning when the store opened, then quit my hiding place, mingle with the crowds, and leave Bracey's forever. But just at dawn, Mr. Roscoe brought me a cup of coffee, which must have been drugged, for I fell asleep. And when I awoke, I found I had slept all day, and night was closing over the store once more. Later... I've spent my second night here. I saw Ella again. Ella, the pearl of this remote, fantastic cave. She's not like the others. A trifle pale, but otherwise normal and human and beautiful. A child of perhaps 18. She's the only thing that makes this nightmare bearable. October 20th. Escape seems almost impossible. There's a very effective burglar alarm system and the doors are all carefully guarded. But that's nothing compared to the dark men. Who are the dark men? I don't know. But they threaten any transgressor with these dark men. I shall try to discover who they are. At least I'm sure I'm watched, though they've begun to trust me now. Speaking to the night watchman would be suicide. Even if he believed my fantastic story or didn't shoot me as a burglar... I'm convinced that neither Ellen nor I could get out of here alive. She and the Night Watchman are the only real people here. And how the others hate the Night Watchman. Odious, vulgar creature. You reeks of the coarse sun. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby. He's really a personable young man. Very young for a Night Watchman. Mr. Snow, sometimes I wonder about your taste. You mustn't say so much to yourself, Mr. Snow. You must become better acquainted with our ways. Yes, old man. You've come to the play tonight. We're going to be entertained with one of Mrs. Bilby's tragic comedies. Love in Shadowland. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure I will. It's really a festive occasion, you know. Wanamakers is coming over. Wanamakers? Yes. The entire colony over at Wanamakers is coming here en masse to attend the play. You mean there are people living in other stores? Oh, dear, yes. Didn't you know? Of course, the best people live in Bracey's and Wanamakers. Oh, come now, Mrs. Bilby. There's some very nice people at Alton. I beg your pardon, Mrs. Bilby. Oh, hello, Ella. Good evening, Mrs. Snell. Mrs. Bilby. Well, what is it? Mrs. I'd so love to see your play tonight. May I have your permission? Certainly not. You know better than that, you stupid creature. You know where you belong? In the basement for the garbage can. But Mrs. Bilby couldn't... Mr. Snell. Ella, you're becoming entirely too forward of late. I'd advise you to watch your step. Remember the dark men. Oh, no, please, Mr. Roscoe. I'll be good. I promise I will. No, please don't send for the dark men. I'm sorry, Mrs. Bilby. Excuse me. Ella, come back. Mr. Snell, you forget yourself. Let her go. But how can you treat her like that? Why do you always frighten her? And what is all this about the dark men? Well, the dark men... Oh, now. please, Mr. Roscoe, not now. You spoil our whole evening. And I do so want Mr. Snell to enjoy my play. Very well. Later, Mr. Snell. But I want to know about the dark man. Later, later. October 21st. At last I found an opportunity to speak to Ella alone. I hadn't dared to speak to her before. Here one has a sense always of pale eyes secretly watching. But last night at the play I induced a fit of hiccups. As I anticipated, I was sternly reprimanded and told to go and secrete myself in the basement where the night watchman wouldn't hear me. This was exactly what I had planned. I went to the basement. There in the darkness, among the garbage cans and the rats, I heard sobbing. 
Ella. Ella? Oh. Ella, is that you? Yes. Why are you crying? What is it, Ella? They... They wouldn't even let me see the play. Is that all? Who oh, is this now? I'm so unhappy. There, there. You mustn't cry. You're the only one. The only one who's kind. Ella, why are you here? Why do they treat you so differently? Because I'm not like them. I didn't choose to come here. You mean you're held prisoner? Yes. You see, I was only six. I came here on a shopping tour with my mother. I got lost and fell asleep behind a counter. It was dark when I awoke and they found me. Some of them wanted to send for the dark men because they were afraid I would tell on them. But Mrs. Vanderpant said no. I could stay and be your maid. I've been here ever since. Since you were six? Haven't you ever tried to get away? No. I don't know anything about... out there. I wouldn't know what to do. Besides, I'm afraid. If anyone tries to get out, they send for the dark men. Ella, who are the dark men? Don't you know? Oh, it's horrible. Tell me. You know how people live in all the stories. At Gimbel's and Bloomingdale's Yes, and... yes, I know. Well, the dark men live at the Undertaker's. Good heavens. And whenever someone dies or breaks the rules, or when a burglar gets in and sees these people and might tell, they send for the dark men. Oh, horrible. They put the body in the butcher shop in the food department. And then the dark, dark men come. I saw them once. It was terrible. What do they do? They go in where the dead person is. They have wax with them and all sorts of things. And when they're gone, there's just a wax model left on the counter. Then our put, people put a frock on it or a bathing suit and mix it up with the other wax models in the windows. And nobody ever knows. Ella, you mean all these dummies around us? Oh, not all of them. But if you displease these people, the same thing will happen to you. October 30th. I haven't kept up my journal writing a sin out of the question. Once more, I'm frozen with terror. But not for myself now. For Ella. They hate her. Any time they might turn against her in sense of the dark men. My mind is filled with her. I dream of her every day. I'd live to see her at night. We've managed it several times. They trust me now and let me roam about without interference. Finally, tonight, I met her again and said it. Ella, I love you. Oh, Charles. I love you, Ella. Let's get married. Or whatever they do here. Then we can live together in my home in the carpet department. They wouldn't dare hurt you then. Oh, Charles. Don't look so dismayed. If you like, we'll go away from here. Maybe we can get transferred to... The Bergdorf Goodman's overlooking Central Park. Don't, Charles, don't. You mustn't. But I love you. Ella, you're not in love with someone else. Yes, Charles, I am. But who? I thought you hated them all. It must be Roscoe. He's the only one that's young enough. Oh, no, Charles, not Roscoe. Especially not him. I do hate them all. They make me shudder. Well, who is it, then? It's him. Who? The night watchman. No, impossible. I love him. He smells of the sun. Ella. Oh, it was wonderful the way it happened. Don't tell on me, Charles, or they'll punish me. Oh, no, no. I was careless, and there he was, coming around the corner in the ladies' lingerie department. I was caught. There were only some wax models in their underthings. There was nothing else to do. I slipped off my dress and stood still. He stopped and looked at me. And Charles, he spoke to me. He said, Say, honey, I wish they made him like you on 8th Avenue. Charles, wasn't that a lovely thing to say? Personally, I should have said Park Avenue. It doesn't matter what street. It was a lovely thing to say. But what can you do about him? Ella, he belongs to another world. Yes. To 8th Avenue. I want to go there. Charles, are you really my friend? Yes, of course I am. And I'll tell you, I'm going to stand there again in the lingerie department, so he'll see me. And then? Perhaps he'll speak to me again. Ella, you're only torturing yourself. No, because this time I shall answer him. He'll take me away. Take you away? Oh, no, Ella, I couldn't bear that. You don't love him. 
You only think you do because you think he'll take you out of here, but you don't know that he will. And I will, Ella. I've made up my mind. No, Charles, I couldn't let you do it. Even if I loved you, you couldn't do it, Charles. Why not? Because you really belong here. You're... You've become one of them now. Ella, you mustn't say that. It's true. And, Charles, I've got to go. There's someone watching us. I feel like... No, wait, Ella. Goodbye, Charles. No, Ella. Come back. Ella. Please, old man. You'll arouse tonight, watchman. Roscoe. Yes. Oh, love can be very upsetting, can't it? You heard? Yes. Just the last moment or so. Very touching. <laughs> Yet it's understandable. I've been attracted to Ella myself. So she loves another, hmm? Too bad, old boy. Who could it be? Could it be that I am the cause of your heartbreak? You flatter yourself too much, Roscoe. Well, then whom? The old judge? Well, certainly not. The colonel? Hardly. None of those. Oh, not one of the customers. The staff? She loves the night watchman. Can you imagine that? She loves the... Oh? Roscoe, I shouldn't have said that. It's, it's not true. At least I don't think it's true. You wouldn't... Roscoe, you said you loved her too. You wouldn't do anything. Tell anybody. This is a secret between us. Between friends, isn't it? Of course, old man. As secret as the grave. She's young. Perhaps she'll leave and she'll forget him in time. Who knows? Perhaps she'll learn to love you or me. Of course. In time. And we'll figure a way to keep her safe here. Absolutely safe. Now, don't you worry about it. It's almost dawn. Time for bed. Good morning, Mr. Snell. should have known he couldn't be trusted. He must have gone straight to Mrs. Vanderpant because this evening the atmosphere has changed. People flicker to and fro, smiling nervously, horribly with a sort of frightened, sadistic exaltation. An informal dance in the record department has been called off. I can't find Ella. I'm going out again now to look for her. Roscoe, what have you done with her? Shh, shh, quiet, old boy, the night watchman. I don't care. What have you done? Whatever I did was for your own good as well as for the good of us all. Wait a minute. What is that? What are those people carrying? That's Ella. She's tied up. They're carrying... Ella! Ella! Stop it, Charles, stop it! Oh, let me go! Let oh, me stop, go. Charles, stop it. You'll arouse the night watchman. No, they're... They're taking her in... Into the butcher shop. this last entry hurriedly. They are in there in the butcher shop with Ella, the dark man. There's only one thing to do. I'm going to find the night watchman and tell him. He and I will save her if we can. And if we are overpowered, well, I will leave this pad on the stationary counter. Tomorrow, if I live, I will recover it. If I do not, whoever finds it and reads it, look in the store windows. Look for three new wax dummies. Two men, one rather sensitive looking. And a girl. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. And her nose turns up a little. Look for us. And then find them. Smoke them out. Exterminate them. Avenge us. Oh, Sam, isn't it horrible? Ah. Well, we've got to do something. Tell somebody something. Oh, Sam, what do we do? Do? For nothing. Go to bed. 
But Sam! Well, whoever wrote this has sure got a weird sense of humor. It's probably some court down on braces who ought to be fired. But you, you mean you think it's just a story? Are you kidding? You don't believe this stuff, do you? Well, well I don't know. I, I, I oh, forget it, baby. What a snap out of it. I shouldn't leave you alone. You get too many ideas when I go out bowling at night. But, uh, don't you think maybe we ought to just, uh, take it back and show somebody? Oh, nuts. It's not worth a bother. They'd laugh at you, baby. They think you were crazy or something. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. I guess I was silly. Forget it. Oh, come on. Let's go to bed. I'm tired. Okay. Okay, Sam. Gee, you know that for a while I still was scared. <laughs> oh, I even forgot what I was going to tell you. Sam, I found the cutest dress today. Only 1995. Yeah, baby? Yeah. It was in the window at Bracey's. It was on a beautiful little wax model with blonde hair, blue eyes, and a turned up nose. And there was... Two men standing beside. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight brought you Evening Primrose by John Collier. Adapted for radio by John Dunkel. With Elliot Lewis as Charles Snell, Paul Freese as Roscoe, and Pat Lowry as Ella. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fuhr. Next week... After you've had a tough day at the office, or leaning over a hot stove, when your four walls seem to be closing in on you, Next week at the same time when you want to get away from it all, we again offer you escape. Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Evening Primrose from Escape here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Evening Primrose, one of my favorite Elizabeth Taylor scents. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you've been was... waiting weeks <laughs> weeks get that out. to say that sounds like a perfume by Elizabeth Taylor. See, yeah, and see, now you said it twice. <laughs> yeah, and it's I'll still have to not edit funny. one of those out. No, <laughs> not at all. That's staying. I deserve it. Before we get to the episode, let's go back to the intro of yes. this episode, shall we? <laughs> His monkey wife. There's a book about a guy who married a monkey. Yeah, is that just too much for you? Is it, have we found I, your line in the sand? <laughs> it might have absorbed all my thoughts. I might dedicate my life from this point forward to his monkey wife. Well, you know, it's up there with my mother, the car. <laughs> it's an intentional satirical novel. I've never read it. I'd never even heard of it until I, mean, I did this research. I'm familiar with some of his short stories that have been adapted for radio, but that was it. It was a surprise for me, and I had to include it in the intro and had to make Eric say his monkey wife over and over again with a straight face. <laughs> um, before we move on, let's go back to the beginning of the podcast <laughs> and talk about this was a musical on television with Anthony Perkins. Yeah, you can go online. We'll put a link. There's uh, oh, please do. songs on YouTube. It's very dull to my ear, but I don't like musicals. No, um, no one does. <laughs> and everybody in the department store just looks like normal people, so it's not very exciting. They don't look like the monstrous creatures they're described. Don't 
Turn me into a mannequin. It's just like that, Eric. No, it's disappointing in my opinion. But I went online. Oh, of course it's disappointing. <laughs> but I'm not a musical fan, though. No, people, he... There were articles in the New York Times about, it. finally, this, this musical is being released on DVD, this lost work from Sondheim. I mean, I, I kid you not, we'll link to those, too. And I, I went, wow, this has got to be good. What's Boring. It, is it called Evening Primrose? I don't know what it was called. It might have been. Okay, we got to do this, don't we? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> yeah, no, please. Yeah, so all that being said, I don't know if I want to talk about anything else besides that. <laughs> this was a delightful episode just sort of to unfold what all's going on here. There's a yeah. lot packed in here because it is functioning as both satire, which Collier does a lot, and horror without yeah. really backing off either one. It is one of those stories which I really enjoy that as you go through it, it's like, I have no clue what is going to happen next. <laughs> You're I have not no clue like, oh, what's happening these now. stories again. <laughs> what's the satire of? Of department stores or of <laughs> utopian department store societies? What's it? I, well, I think there's a lot of elements of class in here, a satire on materialism, because you have the materialism of these people who lost their money and go move into a department store and create this sort of faux society where they look down at other department stores that may not be as, <laughs> <laughs> as rich or fancy as them. Is that intended, or are you just shoving that well, in there? I think that's, I think that's totally really? intended. And then you also get the okay. contrasting satire of the poet who claims to shun all materialism, but quickly fits right in to this world. Even down to the very last moment of this story when he's writing his desperate letter, look in the window, look in the window, you'll see three figures, one terribly sensitive looking. <laughs> he's worried about appearances right down to the last moment of his life, which is, again, intended as a joke and a satire. Right. I never catch that kind of stuff. I just hear the story. I never catch, oh, this is a nudge, nudge, wink, wink toward, I'm actually making fun of Eisenhower here, see? <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I never, I never catch anything like that. To me, it's about a spooky department store. Oh, it is that, too. Yeah, I know, but how do you guys even catch that stuff? Like, wait, what, what is well, this a metaphor for? <laughs> let me uh, uh, step down off the academic ladder, because I was also thinking as we're going along, like, this reminds me of Clive Barker's Nightbreed, <laughs> and also a little of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead, I get. So here's the deal. I'm going to share something that may or may not be edited out. <laughs> I killed a man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about that yet. So have you ever had a dream in your life that you remember always? Yes. yes. Okay. I think so. That's not weird. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that dream. I was about nine or 10 years old, and I'll never forget this nightmare. I was in a department store, actually, a shopping mall that had department stores, and I was with my friend and my mom and uh, got a little lost. And then things were shutting down, and I couldn't get out. And there was this big windows that looked out into the parking lot where I could see my friend and my mom get in the car and drive away without me as I pounded on the window, and I proceeded to spend the night in the shopping mall being chased by monsters. So what made you think of that dream? <laughs> <laughs> so this was your nightmare come right. true. Someone acted out your childhood when I was, nightmare When I'm you. listening, you sent this to me and listening, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Get out of my head! <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Pretty much how it happened, except, you know, Without the poetry. And I was a little upset listening to this that I've had this dream since I was 9 or 10. And it has never occurred to me that someone might be interested that I could write that into a play or something that that was... You know, I had that and I should have wrote it. But now it will just be like, oh, now you're just doing escape. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I caught the satire of Bracey's. I think he's referring... To Macy's. What? <laughs> I caught that. Yeah, uh, here's a weird part, though. A very uh, nitpicky thing. She says, oh, I found this piece of paper and someone wrote a note on it. No, someone wrote a manuscript. <laughs> you didn't find a piece of paper. You found an entire play. And then they get back and they're like, oh, well, I don't think anything of that. Like, well, we just spent 30 minutes with you reading that out loud. That's it, very literal of you, Eric. 
I didn't find a piece of paper. I found this journal would have helped. <laughs> Help, I'm being held prisoner in Dayton's. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. But there is some interesting, terrifying, and as Tim said, what is going on? Kept happening. What is going on? And I think that first moment for me was in the description of them crawling down walls mm-hmm. or floating. And they were dressed like humans, but weren't exactly human. Those layers kept getting mm-hmm. added. Like, ah, what are these things? And Who that is are very these people? Dreamlike. Yeah. The, the sort of maybe it was dream like logic it. to it. Of they're not a specific species of monster that you can point to uh, a legend about. And it made me think of the mysterious traveler behind the locked door. This sort of idea that they have been enclosed, only awake at night, moving really silently. That hyper evolution idea they've, they've, that they become right. these monsters from their environment. Yeah. But it's also being narrated by a poet. So you also have to take what he says with a grain of salt to how he describes everything. I would like to also point out my absolute joy in the name Mrs. Vanderpants. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a made up name intended to mock her. Yeah. And okay, I mean, Mrs. Vanderpants. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's the satire coming through where I think oh. it's really funny. Is it a take and up on Vanderbilt? Well, I don't think it's a specific name, but oh. just making rich, wealthy names sound ridiculous and someone who's pompous. She clearly runs this whole department store and that she's actually a, a ridiculous figure, but takes herself very seriously, as all these guys do. The satire and tragedy were a little. Uh, overlapping when they're talking about a lot of people who came in to be part of their group were the children of people who had killed themselves because of the depression. Yeah. <laughs> the reasons they were there, not that one and others, I thought were brilliant. And his was to be a poet to get away. I love that. But yeah, that was yeah, the, grotesque. Really lost generation. Here's another thing. When I was a kid, I always thought it would be cool to live in a department store. Sure. Like you'd see one of those stores that were closed temporarily, like Quiznos coming soon or whatever. Like, what if you bought one of these and put up some drapes and just lived in here? That'd be awesome. So that's where you would live if you ran out of money. You would become the Quiznos men, not the dark men. Send for the Quiznos men. <laughs> I'm hungry. And you just show up. I don't think I've even had a Quiznos in my life. No. I've got a pepper bar. That's a callback to an old commercial that no one remembers. <laughs> No, I'm more of a spa, a spa, a sparrow, spa, sparrow. Uh, let's name it something that's impossible to pronounce. Uh, spa, spa, sparrow. The, but I love the reasons that they showed up to live there. However, I will say another flaw in the flaw is the wrong word because I enjoyed this. Um, is that obviously the department store, Bracey's department store inventory system is really terrible (laughs) because they're not noticing anything going missing. Nope, and things that are being added, such as the mannequins, which is really creepy. And there's thousands living there? Do you get that idea? Apparently all over the city, the short story expands on it, and they're looking down at some people who live in dime stores and cheaper places. It's hard to hide there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And with the dark men from the funeral parlors, you do get this idea of this whole underground city. That was the other question I had, you know, the funeral parlor. Is that nearby, or did department stores have a funeral parlor? Was it a one-stop shop thing more than it is <laughs> I'm today? I'm assuming it's nearby because they go visit. Like when uh, Mrs. Brisby or whoever she is who writes plays is putting on a show, they say that they're yeah. having the people from Wanamakers or some other department store coming over to watch this play. So it seems like it's all over right. the city and it's interconnected. That makes it seem fantastic, but also somehow more realistic, that mm-hmm. it's not this isolated thing in and of itself. Uh, just FYI, there is no play Love and Shadow. Love and the Shadowlands? Is that? Is yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> I tried to find it. I was like, well, it's actual. No, it's not. So well, they said it was a that. tragic comedy, and so I thought it was that nice bit of foreshadowing of what was going to go on with Ella and mm-hmm. our narrator. That was... The writing performance, the situation, all of it just was so sleek and beautiful of, there's two vaguely normal people here. I love you. I love someone else. Yeah. Uh, there's no one else. <laughs> yes, I watched them. Yeah. 
And there, that's another fun moment where the, the classism from the poet comes out. Because when the night watchman says something to her, like, you know, they don't make them like oh, you on 8th yeah, Avenue. And he's like, I would have said Park Avenue. <laughs> um, so I thought that was another nice bit of satire. And a little bit racy for uh, old radio uh, to describe her quick yes. taking off her dress and posing in the lingerie section for the night watchman. I was surprised that made it in in 1940-whatever. And I really like the framing sequence as well. Particularly, there's lots of nice Foley moments, but the very top of the show is just the music fades, footsteps, Mm -hmm. keys, the door opens, Mm -hmm. footstep, shriek. And it's almost like this condensed horror radio show in like 10 seconds (laughs) (laughs) we should use that as our opening (laughs) and then it rolls back to um her screaming again at the very end after she realizes that she saw them in the window it's step by step it just keeps layering when a guy says you know i'm a poet and i'm gonna live in this department store i think that's a cool concept and like where is this going to go and i like the idea of wow that could go in a million different directions and as it happens there's something else there with him And like, oh, here we go. But as it evolves into a society, and again, you know, it makes me wonder about inventory systems. (laughs) We're out of pillows again. (laughs) What? (laughs) I love how it veers from horror to comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, you get the satire of these ridiculous people writing plays and thinking they're such important people. And then you got the horror of that they just kept this little girl from the age of six as a slave and that her mother is somewhere presuming she's lost or dead or gone and you're like so that's really effective and i I think for some people that might turn them off because they can't figure out is this supposed to be funny is this Mm -hmm. supposed to be horrific but i like something like this that can manage to keep both those ideas in the air and just keeps alternating from that's a funny line to that's horrific and in that vein of the satire and horror, at the end when the woman is pointing out, you're one of them. Yeah. The poet is now indistinguishable from the rest of them. I like to think that ideas come from, you know, the starting point. I'd like to think that the starting point is walking through the department store going, what if these mannequins were actual real people that have been, you know, that that was the beginning? Because I love that concept that we somehow discover one day these are actually dead people like a soylent green kind of here's, here's what we're going to do with the dead people when they're gone dress them up dress and them up. i will mention one thing about the original there's a really great adaptation of the story but there is a great line that's missing and a creepy line about the conversion of bodies to mannequins uh, in the short story charles asks about the bodies that the dark men leave and says you know aren't they heavier than the other wax models and ella says no they're not heavier i think there's a lot of them gone and it's just <laughs> this wow. like throwaway line like that and it just moves on that explains that too kind of makes you wonder <laughs> what all is gone and what they did well, yeah that Got might um, also or... address some of the missing inventory yeah <laughs> this pillow is really squishy what's in this <laughs> how long before you'd get tired of eating cinnabons <laughs> You know, like I'm willing the first... to find out. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna throw himself on that cinnabomb. Cinnabomb. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, the first week you'd be like sweet, and then you'd be like, oh my god. Yeah, but I, after four years, I think I could use maybe a taco, right? <laughs> Got to slim up. I thoroughly enjoyed this uh, for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is my own personal experience with this nightmare (laughs) yeah this was written just for you yeah right (laughs) it also had just such a stellar cast that i do have escape always does Mm -hmm. they've got william conrad just doing the opening right anytime william conrad speaks on the radio it's awesome Mm -hmm. so incredibly deep that voice but then elliot lewis is charles schnell and i think he's fantastic and uh paul freeze is well it's paul freeze yeah Yeah, mr roscoe and he just sounds so evil mm-hmm. but calm it's a great performance i love the choice of playing evil from a calm perspective instead of mm-hmm. a maniacal perspective godfather right yeah. michael is so calm and terrifying you know yeah. and i just love that approach to being evil yeah he's like evil department store fishman jeeves mm-hmm. <laughs> jeeves <and> Wooster. <laughs> mm-hmm. this is one of my 
favorite escape episodes. This was actually uh, one I wanted to bring as the second episode I brought to the podcast, you know, way back in September of 2016. Wow. But I forgot that it uses a very similar framing sequence to House in Cypress Canyon that we had just mm-hmm. listened oh, to. And so then it just fell off my list for a while. But uh, I love this one. Here's uh, me being stupid again. I never caught, uh, why is it called Evening Primrose? Is it a scent by Elizabeth Taylor? Is it? It is a flower. I'm assuming it's a flower that blooms at night. Thank you, Tim. We're going with that. (laughs) We'll do more research and get back to you. It's one of those things I've heard this so many times (laughs) that the title has just gone past me. Now, Primrose is this creepy story. (laughs) Right. I hear you. All right. Well, let's throw it to the vote. This is a classic, I feel. It's excellent. Um, the only thing tempering my opinion is knowing that there is something else out there called his monkey wife. <laughs> Which could be better than this. Which might we don't be better. Know. I don't, we'll yeah. have to report back. <laughs> well, I'm biased. I think it's a classic. I love this for all the reasons I've already said. Uh, definitely stands the test of time. Maybe dated references, because department stores have now died. And there might be some kid listening to this going, what's a department store? <laughs> That'd be a story about a mall haunted by a department store. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to call it a classic. I'm going to say it was great. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I just think that we could have spent a little less time pontificating and more time being uh, terrified. I think that it became more cerebral than... Yeah, you like the horror elements and yeah, want more yeah. of those. Yeah, instead of him just talking mm-hmm. about how hard things are. I found on at least one website a mention of this as a controversial escape episode, that people either love it or hate it. Um, it it's hard to find people expressing their opinions about old-time radio online. No, someone should do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, full of dumb opinions. <laughs> <laughs> But, but this one I did see. So, I mean, I think, I think you're not alone thinking that. So The concept is great, and I think it could have been expanded to bring in more suspense for a lot longer. For example, discovering what was really going on through his eyes more slowly. What is happening? Who are these things? Like, he's just observing them for a while. And, but I know, they got 24 and a half minutes. I get it. All right. Well, there you have it. Tim, tell us stuff. Hey, I'd like to tell you stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the website that hosts this podcast. You can find other episodes there. You can also find out how to contact us if you'd like to send us some suggestions or just say hi. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, Please feel free to comment on our posts because we love chatting with folks. Uh, You can also find us on Instagram. Yes, and we're also encouraging our listeners to check out another old-time radio podcast, uh, Breaking Walls. They are currently doing a podcast on the history of the American radio drama. It's a documentary-style presentation about the beginning of radio through the rise of the networks, the growth of programming, through the depression, the end of radio, the rise of television, and the future of dramatic radio. Um, They combine archival interview clips. I wanted to say footage. I, I still think really <laughs> visual. Um, so you, you get to hear people like Hyman Brown who from Inner nice. Sanctum talk about his radio experience and it's really fun to hear the voices of these people talking about this medium that is no longer with us. So um, if that sounds interesting to you, you can uh, subscribe to Breaking Walls everywhere you get your podcasts or go to thewallbreakers.com Also as long as you're on the internet, why don't you go to iTunes and write a review? Because we really like reviews. Yeah, that helps. And uh, they make me feel good about myself. He really needs to feel better about himself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of Hyman Brown, <laughs> guess what's next? What? We're going back into Inner Sanctum. Woo, nice. Yeah, our next episode is The Shadow of Death. Until then... Mrs. Vanderbilt is our grand old lady. That's an odd name for a girl. I don't think I like that, Thurston.